and you're listening to The Collabcast, a podcast about pop culture and the creative life from an Asian American perspective. Oh, I'm calling out, calling out. Oh, I'm calling out for you. Cause without you in my life, oh, I'm falling for something new. But I don't. Welcome to episode 99 of the Collabcast. 99. It's, let's say, Friday, December let 23rd, say it's Friday. 2016. My name is Marvin Yue. Joining me is my co-host. Mindy Chang. Mindy Chang. <laughs> you can sing that. That's fine. No, We're we don't need the, any more of that. Feeling in the holiday spirit. Are we, though? No, mm. we are. It's, um... <laughs> Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays, Happy Gift Day. No matter where you are, it's time to celebrate just family, food, or however you do Christmas. Yes. How do you do Christmas, Minji? Family time. How do you Christmas? How do we Christmas is usually food, my immediate family, sometimes extended family, and oftentimes a random road trip to an obscure city That's in the northwestern true. region. Last year it was what, like Western Tington or something? Like some I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I don't know when it Chesterville. I, something something yeah. like that. <laughs> we went to uh was last year the year I went to Oregon? It was North Kensington or something. Your hold face on. Is in it North was the hold on, let me look it up. It was the title of the podcast that we did with Rayson last year. See, I don't, you just log all these things so much better in your cerebellum or wherever memory is stored. We w- we drove up to Oregon one year and that was pretty freaking epic because we were there for one night. You, It's so funny because we get there at night, <laughs> we have dinner, we go to sleep and then we get up the next day and drive back. But like along the way, there's, it's the journey. It's been, it's fun. Last year you went to Plas- Placerville, Placerville? I did. <laughs> According to our podcast, you did. I don't know. Unless you actually did. Isn't Pleasantville in California? We went to Oregon. Yeah. When did I go to Oregon? I don't know. Log my life, Marvin. Why don't <laughs> you know these things? My family just kind of chills. We do our Christmas present openings on Christmas Eve night. Nice. Um, apparently, that's weird. We do a lot. No. Of, we do a lot of things. I guess it's. You're unconventional. Is it like Asian style? Maybe. I don't where think so. You know, we eat Thanksgiving dinner at dinner time, and instead we open of like four o'clock, like two p.m. Like people eat them. At, no. Yeah, they eat Thanksgiving dinner at that's two wrong. p.m. That's not dinner. And then they eat sandwiches for dinner. That's no, what, that's, that's what I hear is the traditional Thanksgiving way. Tisn't the all-American way. False. <laughs> no, we. Um, well, my family's like really random with presents. We don't even. We're not consistent with any of that. The main thing we're consistent with is food. Mm. So yay, that's all that matters to me. <laughs> and my mom always goes to like Ross or TJ Maxx and gets like these random cute. I get lots of slippers and socks. You know what I realized also? Like a little flower pot is I don't know if I ever believed, actually believed in Santa, because I always knew, like I always knew that my presents were coming from people. She's like, ain't nobody got time for me to like fool you into Santa stuff. How do people keep that illusion alive when you're getting presents from auntie so-and-so? Well, it's the putting under the tree that creates the illusion. I mean, you if like you follow protocol, you would know that. <laughs> you just take away the tag? No, Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing. With, maybe that's an Asian thing. It's just like, well, by various varying family, it's like, how much credit do you want to take? Right. For the gift that is given. Right. Because like Santa didn't give you that. I gave you that. I worked really hard. <laughs> I did overtime. You're welcome. Right. Because I don't know if this is an Asian thing, but definitely with my family, gift giving is a credit and debit system. <laughs> right. Where I give you, I give your nephew a $100 present and you give my son a $200 present to balance it out. And this it's when never, do you have nephews and children. No, I'm saying, right I'm saying. <laughs> Right. Well, you saying that just if like I was you have my, a son? if I was my uncle, I'm I'm role playing my parents. Okay. And it's a it's a never ending back and forth. 
we actually did like a very again to me white elephant and all that stuff has been super non-asian um <laughs> i just don't know again what do i know but my family when i we had our extended relatives like christmas slash new year get together it was pretty epic and that was i think the most fun i've ever had with my family like with my relatives was us battling it out over For white, white elephant. elephant yeah it got crazy i haven't done that with my family before but I have done that with one of my high school best friend's families. Nice. Um, they do a big white elephant in addition to their normal gift giving. And my friend's family, they're all gamblers. <laughs> <laughs> they love betting on sports and playing cards. So the way they play it is, you know, white elephant, for those of you who don't know what, what white elephant is, is basically Secret Santa with stealing. Who doesn't know white elephant now? I didn't know about it till like the office when the office did it. Yeah, well, I'm saying I feel like everybody within the last maybe five to seven years knows. It's definitely a caught on in the past. It's like totes a trend. (laughs) Um, It's really fun. So my friend's family, in order to successfully steal a present, you have to beat the person you want to steal from in a game of high low. Okay, I thought you said beat, and I was just like, this is getting violent. Oh, not fighting, like gambling. (laughs) And as they're playing each other high low, playing war. There's a side bet with oh cash of who will win the high low. Oh my god! So it's how always, many levels of gambling are there? There is at least three levels. Oh my god! So it's always fun with my friend's family. My fam- my family in general doesn't gamble very much at all. Like my parents were never into casinos or anything like that. Mm. But we have a New Year's game where we play Yunori, and for anybody who's Korean American, y'all know this. It's the four sticks. Have you ever seen it? My family does dice, okay. the, like the lucky dice game. It's kind of like, yeah. it's our Korean version of dice, but it's four long sticks. One is a curved side and one's a flat side. And there's numbers associated with what's up and what's down. Okay. And there's a board and like it's four on four. So it's usually one family versus another family. Mm. Or we'll stagger like aunts and uncles versus the children or something. <laughs> that, that shit gets crazy. When you play that though, because we usually play our gambling game during Lunar New Year. Because that's when we have money. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. We do ours January 1st, New Year. Okay. Well, like my family has. Right. We do that at our Christmas thing. So before the epic ridiculousness of White Elephant, we had the epic ridiculousness of Yunori, which combined <laughs> would be like, the. It, we've done that a few years now. It's been like the best thing ever. You just like, people are screaming at each other. Like, it's very, it's like, uh, it's like craps when you're throwing the sticks. Yeah. You're like, because <laughs> there's a number you want in order to like kill people or to I'm get out or whatever. I so the dice game that we played. My mom taught us. And this was back when, you know, our red envelopes were like five, ten dollars Okay. But like every dollar you lost felt like $100 in real We're going to play this. I think we should do this during our podcast party. Like legit. I sh- I'm going to Amazon this right That's now. That's true. Okay. So for those of you... um who've been following us for a while next week is episode 100 of the collab cast we made it to 100 straight weeks of this shit and <laughs> we're gonna celebrate damn it so we're scheduling a and it's so it so happens that it coincides with the last episode of 2016 the most ridiculous of years <laughs> So we're going to gather a lot of our uh, we're going to gather a whole bunch of our favorite guests to do a giant live podcast. Um it's going to be uh we're going to record and film it at the great no at the VC office in down, Visual Communication in downtown LA and it's going to be live streamed. Uh, it's going to take place next Thursday, December 29th at 3 p.m. Pacific time. Um, not sure how long it will go, but it's going to be a blast. We're going to change up the format a little bit. And as a group, we're going to spot rank our top 10 moments of 2016. Because as you all know, I like to keep things positive around here. Um, don't want to dwell on the shit that's been 2016. So let's celebrate our wins. Let's take a look at what good happened because we got to keep all that in perspective. Keep things positive. Yeah. I thought you weren't allowed to use that word anymore. No, I do what I want. I'm a grown ass man. I do what I want. <laughs> I say posse. Um, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna get the you naughty know set. It's so fun. We'll whiteboard it and I'll put up like what the words are and we're gonna get cray cray. <laughs> we'll have Sounds like a championship good. game. Well, let's um let's get on with the show. Let's today we're gonna talk a little bit about um today we're gonna reflect a little bit more about 2016 in terms of 
media, pop culture, as well as take a look at the um, kerfuffle that happened this past week with Margaret Cho and Tilda Swinton. Fun times. But before that, let's get to our roundtable segment where we talk about what's on our minds in the world of pop culture. Look it! It's on Amazon! Oh. Sorry, I'm totally... You gotta, you gotta prime that to get in here in time. That's what I'm saying. But see? You're naughty. Yeah! <laughs> anyway, hi. Oh, it's in the same category as um, seaweed. I don't know why. Is it like, some like hashtag Korean stuff? Uh, maybe hashtag Korean. Do they sell pears there too? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they should because those are the best. Damn, this is 45 bucks. What? Okay, we're not playing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> JK, JK. Um, so who wants to start? I don't know. I had stuff on my mind that I forgot last week, mm. um, which was the J-Law thing. Oh, do you want to talk about just that? Real quick? Like it's Hawaiian related, but again, in general, it was just like the pop culture thing that I I saw some of my friends share about. But I just need a second to call out what what silly redonkadonk BS that was. <laughs> so, for those of you who didn't catch the news last week, I guess um, Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt were on the Graham Norton show. And I guess promoting J-Law, passengers. Yeah, promoting passengers. Which, which is, is, is that even good? Have people? I I've heard mixed things. I want to watch it, but I've, I've heard that like it's kind of like a. Have you seen Moon? Yes. I feel like it's kind of like that, but the twist. I heard the twist isn't as good. Okay. So I don't know what to think, but okay. I mean that kind of setting draws me in. As you know, I'm a sci-fi, a huge sci-fi fan. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Just I kind of had the feeling like it. all of the press like all the press that they've been doing kind of for some reason made me think it's probably not a good movie. Well, I mean, now that movies cost a billion dollars, 31% on Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> just saying, and 6.7 on IMDb. I mean, um, those are two different things. I mean, IMDb are user reference, user generated though. So, I mean, that's, I'm saying like you yeah. look at those two platforms and you kind <laughs> of can anyway. Well, I mean, like I was saying, now that movies cost a billion dollars to watch every time, uh, I may be exaggerating a little bit. A smidge. I kind of, I need to be more selective on what I spend my money on. And if it's in between watching a movie that I might not like at the end or watching a movie that will probably be charming at least, I got to go with Sing for this weekend. Word. Also because it's a scene competition and they got to, you know. See, that's a movie where Matthew do. McConaughey makes sense to be in versus Kubo <laughs> and the Two Strings. Anyway, um, so the Jennifer Lawrence story is that she was on the Graham Norton show with Chris Pratt. Um, and I think Michael Sheen, was it the three of them? I think so. Uh, they were just doing promo for Passengers. And she was sharing this anecdote about some Hunger Games thing, which apparently was like a well-kept secret. Whoops. Whoops. I don't know. She seemed surprised that Graham knew the story. Yeah, so Graham Norton um, kind of, well, he hinted at this thing that happened during in the Hawaii. shoot in Hawaii. And then she's like, how do you know this? And then she I've goes like memorized on the whole video. to, how many times have you seen that? I watched it. I'm an actor, Marvin. I have photographic memory and I'm very good with lines. <laughs> is that true? This is why I know you. Photographic memory. Yes, shut up. And this is why I know you all the live long day by singing all the songs because I hear it twice and I know the song if I love it. If I love it. Um, this one I did not love, but it made a very emotional <laughs> impression on me. So therefore, it is branded in my brain. Anyway, she said that she, she starts kind of just reflecting on this thing and she goes into the story even though she didn't really want to talk about it. And apparently there's this, there are these pile, this pile of sacred rocks in Hawaii and uh, she was told, everyone was told, and I'm guessing there's signage or something to s- indicate you should not touch these rocks. They're very sacred and important to the Hawaiian people. Um, Jennifer Lawrence justified, like, starts joking that she was wearing a wetsuit because she was filming The Hunger Games 2, and she needed to scratch her ass. So of all the rocks, the many, many rocks that I'm sure are on the islands in Hawaii, she chose the sacred ones to scratch her ass on. And um, dislodged one of the boulders. These are boulders, by the way. And one of them fell down the mountain and s- destroyed their sound station and almost killed their sound engineer. And she's just telling this story. And I got pretty mad. I mean, the frustrating part was that she was so, like, 
she was trying to make it into like a cute story. She kept inserting things that just like again and you can you can tell that whole story so differently. Her co-stars are like just you look at Chris Pratt. He has this face like. Like he has the Andy face, like what just happened? Yeah. What is happening? Like, here? And then he's like kind of inching away from me. He's like, All right. And he's just like <laughs> nodding. And apparently he lived in Hawaii for a little bit. I guess. So I don't, I don't know. know. But And it's like Yeah. That's what your hand is for, right? I mean, my when my butt's itchy, I use my hand to scratch it. I hope you wash it. <laughs> it's not how scrap butt scratching works. Oh, this can go a very, very different direction. But my gripe about it, and I'm being vocal about it because it really did bother me. Um, and there was a good amount of, you know, social media backlash. But to, in general, coming from somebody who is not white and who has a lot of respect for the flag and for all the different, like there's different, I guess, various ceremonial things and traditional uh, symbolic things in our lives, right? And it varies from whatever it may be, whatever your background is. And from somebody who has, uh, has had dual identities, um, my, my upbringing has always involved. How do I stay respectful to both? And sometimes that's hard, but in general, that's also taught me when other people have something that is important and sacred to them, because you yourself have things that are important and sacred to you. You approach those things with respect that's just, in my mind, my opinion, my beliefs, is that's what a respectful, decent person does. You don't make a joke about it. Again, if it happened and, like, it, like I get it, she was, like, super uncomfortable. And she's just, just oh, I'm, so, I'm so cute, Jennifer Lawrence. Huh? Does anyone want a shot of whiskey? And she's, like, holding her white wine in her glass and wearing her gown and looking fucking beautiful. And it's just, like, it's, it's that, uh, the, the, kind of that image, what's that word? that tableau of the the beautiful white movie star who's like laughing about destroying Being terrible in other people's homes yeah and then know? and then acting like it's a joke that's a great moment jennifer to like stop and be like sincere about where you can tell the whole story and be like yeah i'm i messed up and my bad you know yeah I'm sure she has that bone in her body when it comes to other things, but in that, I was like, what is the matter with you? And somebody had tweeted about that video, and they just and it got thousands of retweets and like said the whitest thing that's ever happened. <laughs> and that's the thing. I have so many white friends who have like the utmost respect for other cultures and you know, but that's that's the image that she's like perpetuating in her attitude and uh, just kind of like blah. And I was a huge fan of Jennifer Lawrence. I was. This is <laughs> I feel like yeah shifted that the the shines off the apple at this point with like this is this is something that shouldn't have a shouldn't have happened and b shouldn't have been joked about right you know right. and it's it, like it's frustrating to see like I'm sure going she was going through her head trying to figure out the best way to tell the story while still c- keeping her image intact or yeah. something I mean I don't yeah. I, I don't know what types of publicity training takes over. When you get asked questions about the shitty things you've done in the past. Yeah. But I I, think just note to all, perhaps, again, just my opinion, perhaps sincere humility (laughs) can take you a long way. You're very much adored for all these other things that you do. You make a lot of money. You get to do a lot of things that people admire and, and appreciate and envy you for, whatever. If you mess up, just own up to it is all I'm saying. And that's what it was just. Ugh. And again, maybe this is her. Learn- I, I don't think she's made any comment. on like, Not that I've heard. She's issued an apology. Okay. But it was kind of one of those. Sorry, you're upset. Mm, sorry if I made you upset. Yeah. Not like. Not accepted. Not very reflective. Not accepted. Yeah. Not accepted. Then it's like if anybody like went to Boston and scratched their ass on like Paul Revere statue and like knocked that over. Do you know how much like crap that person would get? And like if you, that's quite like, a feat because it's like on a pedestal. I know, so I know. Climb up and then scratch. Well, like it's a boulder, and like, <laughs> I don't know. It's just the, the blatant disrespect and just. Ugh. But um, I'm I'm glad for the reaction that people are appalled because I think that whatever that conversation is. Hopefully, it leads to more awareness of hey, if if even if it's not important to you, if it says on a big sign, and if people who are living in the vicinity tell you, "Don't touch this," please respect this. Scratch your ass on a on a more generic pile of rocks. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
do that. I was just like, uh, yeah, I'm so articulate right now, but it was, it was just really true. Um, obviously it's still on your mind after, <laughs> after so long. Well, yeah, because I think it's, that's the reaction strong is because I, I kind of just was so won over by her charm. Mm. And then now her charm is just gross. Yeah. For a minute, I'm going to just like, let that be. (laughs) (sighs) Well, perfect. Everyone's human. Good news is it's the holiday. So what's on my mind is now that we're kind of on half break, not full break. We're still kind of working every, every I don't know about you. I'm full working with my my shoulder <laughs> is like in knots right now. Minji's in charge of our holiday cards, which I love, and I love saying thank you. <laughs> it hurts. She's Who writes sign. these days? Yeah. <laughs> Who uses pens and pe- paper? Nobody. Nobody. Oh, well, I am. Except you. It's an old art. You gotta get a stamp that has her signature on no, it. No, I want people to see my love through my swirly handwriting. <laughs> okay, but get now a that you're pen. on half break. Well. We finally have a chance to watch stuff. You know, I get to catch up on shows. I get to watch movies. And How many have you watched so far? Watch movies are coming out. Hmm? How many have you watched so far? Started a couple. Okay. Started catching up on Top Chef. Started watching Terrace House, which is this charming Japanese like reality show. That is like the it's like the real world. If everyone there was not terrible. Okay. Like pleasant. Yeah. But is it like eerily pleasant? No, it's just people, when there's conflict between roommates, they address it like real people. Who they does talk, that? They talk to each other. Who does that? And come up with Oh my God, I'm having flashbacks of when I was in New York and like the first floor of the Brooklyn place. Like I lived on the third. I walked in multiple times where they were like screaming at each other. <laughs> I didn't say that, okay? What I'm saying is that... They're oh. like the roommates in Zootopia or the neighbors. Maybe, I don't remember. Stop it, man. She's having an emotional experience right now. You shut up. <laughs> I don't remember that. But yes, it sounds like that. Um, and then this past week, I watched. So after our recording last week with Sean Mira, remember how I mentioned I might go catch oh, the opening night Rogue of Rogue One? One? I went to go watch Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved it. With the caveat that I am a huge Star Wars fan, so I think that added to it. Um, I've talked to people on both sides, and I think... Typically, if you're a big Star Wars fan, you'll like it a lot more. Uh, but overall, it's really well done. If um, you liked it, you liked it. <laughs> I had this whole hoopla debate about Arrival, which is one of the few movies I've I haven't seen. seen that yet. I've heard both sides. I think it's really beautiful. And if you can watch it in the theaters, if you have a desire to watch it, watch it in the theaters. Mm. It's really it's like kind of like Interstellar. Like it's a lot to see. Mm. Um, I don't know how it, again, my argument was, I don't know how it would have felt if I watched it um, on a smaller screen. Right. That's the same thing I get from Pacific Rim. Mm. That was a movie you needed to watch in IMAX, Giant Robots. Because if you watch it on a smaller screen, it just doesn't have the same well, too late grandiosity. Um, but yeah, incidentally, in, um, Arrival is based on a short story written by an Asian American author. Yes. Chinese, Chinese, right? Chinese American? I think so, yeah. 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 I saw it like it was one of the first names to come. I was like, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I didn't like the writing. Well, not the story. <laughs> it was like the dialogue. I was like, mm-hmm. Please send all your angry tweets at Minchisi. Shut up. With four E's. No, there was a lot of people who agreed that the writing was <laughs> bad. But they, again, a lot of people don't care. Everybody's preference of like what's the most important about a movie or anything like, I have a big thing about lyrics. When lyrics are just blatantly stupid, it kind of kills a song for me sometimes, which is most of our pop music. <laughs> but when there's good lyrics, I really appreciate that a lot of people could care less. What's a song with great lyrics that you've listened to recently? I think Ed Sheeran writes great songs. I don't know if he writes all of his songs. I think mm-hmm. a lot of his songs are beautifully written. Adele. Again, it's not Wolves of When You Can Understand Her. Um... Again, it doesn't have to be like coherent sentences. You don't have to write it in the sonnet, but like things with meaning and they're just not like mishmash and you're trying <laughs> to make stuff randomly rhyme. Um, I never know what The weekend is saying anymore. <laughs> I'm the star boy. Yeah. <laughs> I love that song because of Daft Punk. See, so I get it from the other side. Uh-huh. Love that song because of the freaking beat. Daft Punk, man. So you like beats and you like lyrics. I do. So Again, you like music. I do love music, <laughs> but again, everything is different. Um, okay, what was I trying to say? Okay, so 
I watched Rogue One, and over the weekend I watched Amelie, the new production of Amelie. <gasps> so gel. Um, starring Philippa Sue. They're they're running uh, until January before they go to Broadway. In oh March. what? Um, so yeah, I guess this is the second second mounting. The, the premiere was at the Berkeley Rep. Um, looking it up right SF. now because I'm gonna get on. <laughs> it's when really does it good. run? It runs till the end of January. Okay, totally going. <laughs> it's good. My girlfriend and I immediately went to go look for the soundtrack, and it's not out yet. They have not recorded it. So I was like, oh. Only is the best. That movie was, I love it. Yeah, it's the songs were all really, really good. And watching it reminded me how, how good that movie was. Nice. Too. And it was a delightful time. A delight. <laughs> was it? And then... Watching those two things, it brought me back to something that I've said before, which despite all the crappiness that's been happening, it's there hasn't been a better time to be Asian in media right now. Word. Like in Star Wars Rogue One, Donnie Yen and I think his name is Jan Wen, um, literally stole every scene they were in. Philippa Su, um, Chinese-American Broadway star who played Eliza Hamilton in Hamilton, the original cast, is now leading this new Broadway premiere. Yes. And you just look at all the things that are coming up next year, including Crazy Rich Asians. Have just, they cast that yet? Not yet. Still, I think it's still open casting. And the momentum has not stopped. And I know we shouldn't focus all our energy on Hollywood representation. Mm-hmm. I think for us, it's it's... Great just to see, you know, just taking a look at this whole year in general, just how much more visibility we have. Like two years ago, people were talking about how uh, there's no leading actors, there's no like, there's no business case to be made for Asian leads. Mm-hmm. And now we have so many, you know, Moana, Pacific Islander lead, even Star Wars, you know, this multicultural cast that broke records. I can't wait for Kelly Marie Tran. Like, I'm not as big of a Star Wars fan as you. But homegirls in that, and I'm going to go watch it. That's going to be tight. Yes. Yeah. When is that coming out? Again, you know all these things. Uh, <laughs> She's like, Marvin, I think tell me you're my Google. They've committed to the Christmas time period mm. for every movie. So episode eight is coming out next Christmas. I'm just like blown away too, though. Because in the States, we what's the statistic? We just we consume like, what, three, four times as much television and film? If that, I feel like it should be more. Probably more. Yeah. I might be being conservative. And there's pros and cons to that. Of course, everyone can kind of, they all talk about our generation is overly connected and we're, you know, watching life versus living it. And there's that case. But also I feel like, okay, well, if if that's the case and we are watching so many different types of shows and, and movies, it's a different kind of experience. And that's why, for me personally, why I've cared so much about what is on that screen. If we cannot tear people away from their screens, then let's not put crap on it 24-7, right? right? So let's raise the bar a little bit. And that's the part to me, the end of the day, um, that to me has always won. And hopefully I can keep that hope. There are days where I'm just like, I quit all of this. I am <laughs> quit television and no more movies and you guys, no. But um, on the good days, which are more, maybe by a hair this year, there, there are really great stories that are emerging, yeah. like not the same repetitive stuff, or even if it's an old story told from a new angle with a new um, perspective that you really never thought of before. And there's definitely a shift coming where we have filmmakers who may not be from minority backgrounds, but interested in minority input. Right. Right. Well, there's also people who like like really do appreciate other cultures and they just want to be able to tell that story. And I don't, again, I don't think fundamentally they can't. For example, I met a director this year from AFI, American Film Institute, and she wanted to do a whole story. She's blonde and blue, blue-eyed, wonderful woman, but she wanted to make a film about Japanese-American culture and she made this very like abstract, artsy film, which at the end of the day I think was really beautifully made. But she made a really big point to get input on it from Asian American actresses, Japanese American people or Japanese people. Um, again, I don't, yeah, I'm just, maybe I'm not in the same, like, ideally there would be Asian people who tell Asian stories because I just think that that level of authenticity will be present. 
But also, I am also aware of how much Korean culture I don't know. <laughs> so if there's somebody like a white person or just non-Korean that can do that better and I can assist in some way to bring out this. But I feel like let them do the Korean story. Like you take care of the Korean American story. You take care of the story that you're right. you're familiar that with or know. that you know of. You yeah. know? Like you're not from K-Town, but you know K-Town stories. Yes, I do. Right. <laughs> more <You> can, and more. <laughs> and so movies like, so you saw Moonlight. Yes, I did. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Oh, and I mean, those are that's a that's a story that's very very Miami. It's a story plucked out of a time and place. Yeah, you can feel it, right? And I feel like those are stories that Asian American writers or directors can also do. I mean, pluck out nineteen like late nineties San Jose, right, or San Gabriel Valley. Will we? (laughs) Are we going to do that? 80s Koreatown. All the sun in. Right. <laughs> Bleached bangs, everybody. I mean, even early 2000s, you know, UC campus. Yeah, right? it's yeah. a lot of very... It's like the Asian yeah. version of She's All That. <laughs> or 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, hopefully it gets better and better. And hopefully every time we have this podcast, I can say with absolute certainty, there has never been a better time to be Asian American in media. Let's keep this trend going, shall we? All right. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and talk more about Asians and media, I guess, Um, and the big kerfuffle that happened this past weekend. Hey, everyone. This podcast, of course, is brought to you by Collaboration, a nonprofit organization supporting Asian Americans in the arts and entertainment. Discovering, developing, showcasing, and connecting the creative talents of our Asian American creative communities. You can learn more about collaboration by going to our website at www.collaboration.org, where you can find out more about our programs as well as check out our digital content offerings, including blog articles, videos, and podcasts like this one. As always, Collaboration is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we are accepting year-end donations to help us with our 2017 programs. If you'd like to support our programs, including our local talent discovery showcases, as well as this podcast, please visit collaboration.org slash donate. Any assistance is greatly appreciated and is 100% tax deductible. The Collabcast is also a part of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of podcasts and podcasters from the Asian American community. Learn more about The Collective as well as our member podcast by going to podcastpotluck.com. There's a lot of great programming there. And if you like what you hear from this podcast, please check out the other great programming from Potluck. Every week, I like to plug a different podcast from the Potluck Collective. And this week, I wanted to plug Fresh Creatives. Uh, Fresh Creatives is a new podcast that I actually host along with actor and filmmaker Chris Din and actor Porter Young, where we take story ideas from the public and using collaborative discussion brainstorming and improv uh, we turn them into full-fledged story pitches check out that podcast as well as all the other great programming at the potluck podcast collective by going to podcastpotluck.com and that'll do it for this week's break thanks again for listening and let's get you back to the show And welcome back to the Collabcast, episode 99. 99. Thanks again for listening. I'm Marvin. You're joining me is... Manji J. So you can do ASMR and I can't? Yes. Because I actually listen to it on like a daily basis. Does this do anything for you? No. Does this give you the tingles? Stop it. What if I... <laughs> Stop it. I don't want to fall asleep right now. <laughs> you are not an ASMR artist. I that's gonna be my new my new channel. Schmarv ASM Schmarv. I love how you've just leaned into that name. ASM Marv. ASM that's very nice. I yeah. like that. I approve that name, but still don't do it. <laughs> Again, I'm for here those to of crush you. all your dreams, <laughs> Again, please join us next week for a special live episode of the Clapcast. It's the first time we're going to do it live, and we're going to do it to celebrate our 100th. Well, two reasons. One reason is to celebrate our 100th episode. And number two is to wrap up 2016. It's going to be great. You can see our faces while we do this. How many rants no I go on, apparently. Yeah. You can see it all uncut. I gush or I rant. We There's gotta no do, in between, we gotta, guys. We got to keep discipline is what we got to do. Well, good luck. <laughs> Ha <laughs>
our strong suit. Yes. Right. Totes. Mm. So, Minji. Yes. How much do you know about this uh, Margaret Cho, Tilda Swinton thing that happened? I read it. <laughs> I read it. I read the first reactionary thing where um, it was very, it was framed very much as like, this bitch said blah, 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 blah. That's how it was framed. And then I read the actual thing and I was like, oh, why was that framed like that? Right. Um, so it was all kind of just blah. I, so I thought about posting about it and then I was like, no. <laughs> so for our listeners uh, who don't know what happened, um, was it over the weekend? It was late last week. Um, well, last week, yeah, last week, Margaret Cho went on Bobby Lee's podcast, um, Tiger Belly. I haven't listened to that. Me neither. You haven't. I thought you would have listened to everything. Anyway, we will listen to it. <laughs> and she recounted a story about how Tilda, Swin- how Tilda Swinton of Doctor Strange fame, she played the ancient one, a Tibetan monk. Um, she played the ancient one, had called her out of, out of the blue. They hadn't talked to each other before. They just, I guess she somehow got Margaret Cho's number because she's Tilda Swinton and she knows people. And they started emailing. She, she emailed, Tilda emailed Margaret to ask her to explain to her why people are so upset about her playing the ancient one. Mm-hmm. And then the way that Margaret explained it during Tiger Belly was that it was a very uncomfortable discussion. And she had felt like she was a servant. Yeah, the, the house Asian to explain things. Like that's how she put it. And it was a very. I guess she framed it as a confrontational type of thing. Like she, um, I, to me, it sounded like she was framing it like it was a very, why are they even mad and very like dismissive? Yeah. Not even confrontational. It's like, why are you talking to me? Kind of thing. <laughs> and then as a result, um, that got picked up by Twitter and the internet. And Tilda Swinton's publicist decided to, to Tilda Swinton's publicist decided to publish. Their email chain. Yeah. Because I guess they agreed to like keep it private. Mm-hmm. And so you know how these celebrity celebrity beef skills like, oh, you're going to do that? I'm going to do this. Right. So they published the entire uh, email chain where both parties were actually on paper very cordial. They were lovely. Yeah. It was, it was like a delightful conversation <laughs> to read. Um, Tilton Swinton. Um, no, Margaret Cho responded, no, thank you for reaching out, blah, blah, blah. Hope this helps. And then, um, Tilda Swinton says, oh, I didn't know about all that, but on the bright side, I'm in a movie with Stephen Young, so we cool. Some, something to that, to that effect. Yeah. Um, and then, so the internet turned on Margaret Cho, calling her a liar and making a big thing on nothing. So, um, I bring this up because there's been two really good responses to this. Uh, one by NPR, uh, written by Gene Demby of um, the Code Switch podcast, and one written by Rebecca Sun from the Hollywood Reporter. Who was uh, at our conference? Was at our conference. Is wonderful. They they broke it down in terms of what people are missing if you take everything by by face value, mm-hmm. and it's what I also thought about when I was reading those emails. Was well, of course they're going to be cordial, right? When you're trying to explain something, you're not going to go all out and like cuss them out for being ignorant. Right. But if someone like whenever someone, if someone were to ask me, well, why are they all mad? I'm going to try to explain this as politely as possible, but in my head, I'm going to be saying, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you the entire time. Okay. Right. And I kind of feel like that's what Margaret was feeling and what she expressed during the Tiger Belly podcast was accurate. Right. But on paper, it didn't seem that way because, you know, you're not going to just tell Tilda Swinton the fuck off, especially if you can, of course, maybe reach out and like change. Absolutely, mind, yeah, right? no. And it, it just comes to this, you know, the onus is always on the oppressed, yeah, to explain why things aren't. Um, I get all that, and I'm, I, I am. Margaret has been in this fight and in this game and dealing with way more bullshit than I have. I've been a bystander and, you know, fraction again, I entered the game and the scene when it was much better than anything that she has ever dealt with. Let me fully acknowledge that she is, she has years of like, and working in it and having her own show. And then, you know, just 
doing the hustle and the grind for years and years and years as a comedian, as as being kind of a lone wolf and trailblazer in many ways, especially for Asian women or like just, you know, she's one of a kind in terms of her outspokenness, her political views, her, um, her open, irate nature with that. And I, I applaud that because she's, again, she says a lot of things that I wish I could say, maybe probably a lot of other people wish they could say, but don't feel that they have the authority or like want to deal with the mess that would happen as an aftermath. So I, I give her props to that. So I think in, in her perspective, just putting myself in her shoes, I, I do not begrudge her attitude. I think all of it is like a stupid PR. My final thoughts are like, this is such a PR thing to like get more viewership for Doctor Strange. I, and I'm not surprised with how they're trying to, or that not they're trying to, how they are spinning it to like make the diversity police be like the anno- annoying whiny party that's making a big deal out of nothing there's absolutely a deeper conversation there about why margaret feels the way that she does and i think because i've entered the scene later than like basically benefiting off of the groundwork she's already done my reaction would not be as hostile I would be annoyed for sure. And I've dealt with that and I still do it. And I go on dates with white guys and they like, it's a constant conversation of like, why, what is the root of all this anger? But the thing is for me, I probably would have received Tilda's inquiry because I'm projecting more of a like benefit of doubt situation that she's being sincere about trying to figure that out. Right. So, Maybe we're in this place where we want to expect it's 2016. You should understand these nuances much more deeply. You are in Hollywood. You should know this conversation, blah, 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 blah. That's all relevant and it's subjective. I'm still, maybe I'm just really forgiving of white people. I'm like, oh, you just don't get it. I mean, that's the thing is they don't get it. They don't. I mean, but if they're inviting that conversation, then like. At the same time. You know, this is something that Rebecca's son pointed out in her response, her open letter to Tilda Swinton was uh, when Tilda responded with, oh, why the decision was made. It was because they didn't want to be stereotypical, like the Fu Manchu old ancient woman stereotype is stereotypical. So they didn't want to do that. So they tried gender swapping, but then that then it becomes a dragon lady stereotype and they didn't want to do that. So to avoid that stereotype, that's why she was cast, you know, And, and then what Rebecca says is, well, that response is throwing the baby out the bathwater. Right? Yeah, you're, you're, for sure. Instead of trying to correct stereotypes and subverting them, you're just avoiding it and doing something even more problematic, which is not even trying to fix it. Right. Right. But on, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it from different perspectives and not defending Tilda Swinton. But again, is that expecting too much for her to go there? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And like, and that maybe that, then that's that's a, that can be kind of a dick perspective from my perspective. I'm like being very condescending to white people. Like you just don't get it. You don't right. understand the toil or the frustration. And so I don't expect you to go there because you're too ignorant <laughs> to get that. You know what I'm saying? And so then, yeah, I, and I'm not being like. That also goes back to just you know, Jean, great about it. Yeah. Uh, what Gene Demi wrote on NPR, which is you know you can see like, and we can all see if you take a moment to read what was being said between the both of them, how Tilda might have come out thinking, oh, okay. We've had this civil exchange where Margaret would come out and like, what the fuck was that? Right. Right. And I think what what's missing from this is the context, right? Like when we're trying to explain institutional racism, mm-hmm. we have to you know, we, we take this kind of teacher, like we, we treat them like students. Yeah. Like something that this is what A, B, C is. Right. Whereas when you're when we're, when we're talking to each other, and I'm, I'm assuming this was the same atmosphere that the Tiger Belly was, so like we're amongst people commiserating. Right, right, right. We're a lot more open about how we really feel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It's I a, get it's it. A, no, it's just yeah. End of the day, I I don't think anybody was. I think the way for me, I just I feel like it was all a PR stunt. <laughs> like they they were they wanted to like if. If I want to hear that, I want what I want to do, and I feel even I feel kind of ridiculous commenting so strongly on something. I didn't hear Margaret's tone. I did not hear the. It's Bobby Lee too. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They're gonna talk shit. That's just mm-hmm. you put those two in a room. It's gonna be hilarious and it's gonna be deep and it's gonna be a lot of 
you know, they're going to be very raw and real with one another and hilarious. And I don't know what context that was in what tone and what, and in what context they were having that conversation, because I'm sure there's so many ways that you could take words that I say in complete sarcasm or like, I'm just saying it very like off the cuff. And then you could put that in an article and make it like, right. Oh, there she's like completely (laughs) discriminating against blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? And it's that day and age you have to watch what you say, but also like you also just need to speak your mind. And so I want to hear the actual podcast. I think Margaret has every right to feel what she feels, to say what she says. I think that it's just clickbait and people are going to take her words and make it like, she just like threw Tilda Swinton under the bus. Because they're going to get more clicks on that. But I also think that that conversation was important to have been had. I'm glad that it's being dissected. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm happy. That's a good thing to put under the microscope for a second. Yeah, I mean, keeping it positive, posy, at least Tilda Swinton did reach out. Yeah, I'm very... At the same time, it kind of... I wonder if she has any Asian friends that she could have talked to. You know, it's kind of weird that you reach out. Like, Margaret Cho... I don't think it's that weird. Well, for for better or worse, she's become the spokesperson. Because she has actual experience. You know what I'm saying? Like, I get why people would argue for and against it. I get it. Yeah. But I, I don't find it surprising because she's been the most. I mean, there is an Asian guy in the cast. You could ask Benedict Wong. He's True. been around for a while. Benedict, that'd be dope. But yeah. like, he hasn't been, I don't know, has he been working in American Hollywood? Like, he's British, right? Benedict Wong? I swear, I thought he has like a British accent. Maybe I'm wrong. But Margaret has been, I don't know, she's made herself. He's British. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So she's, she's made herself the Korean American outspoken talks about diversity, talks about racism. She's not afraid to confront that issue. So I kind of think it makes sense. Like in, if you're in your white Hollywood bubble, she would be top of my list of people that like, she she cares a lot about this stuff and she makes a fuss right. about it. So I, I would reach out to her. It is a little bit, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm trying to stay positive and be like, I think it's good that yeah. it happened. I mean, as you're an actor you it's a space that's very like you you find yourself as the only asian in a lot of situations right Mm -hmm. and for the most part it feels like especially from the stories you tell me it feels like the questions come from a good place yeah they do even though sometimes the questions are really really dumb yes they do (laughs) some of them again and and then and then so you just kind of like being in that situation where you have that conversation so frequently and you get annoyed and you're just like, why are we still talking about it? Look at what are your alternatives that we don't have this conversation that they kind of gloss over it and not make it an issue. That's also pretty crappy. And that wouldn't necessarily lead to the outcome that we want. And I think about what's the outcome that I want. I want people who are non-Asian to have a deeper understanding or desire to understand um, and recognize privilege, which is my issue with Jennifer Lawrence. It's not my frustration that the privilege exists, exists, it's the fact that she's so like dismissive about it. It's not part of her, like she doesn't think about it. Yeah. Right. And that's what. And woke apparently. <laughs> and that's by definition what privilege is. Is I'm privileged in so many ways. Not having to have to think about things that other people worry about. Right. And right? again, it's a tough battle. It's a tough line to walk because I get that you don't want to walk and always be apologetic or feeling like you don't deserve X, Y, or Z. It's not that. It's just like. You know, we all have our different blessings. I have a specific bless. Again, like what I was saying, I'm privileged compared to Margaret Cho because I have not dealt with the blatant racism or the same types of struggles that she did. But she did that work so that I wouldn't have to. And it's a weird, it's a you know this, like it's a weird dynamic because the people who came before us, like the all the activists and pioneers, they'll constantly remind you, like it was way harder. Yeah. But then ironically, it's like you, but you did all the work so that it wouldn't be as hard. So it's like you need to have a good amount of reverence for the work that came before you and to acknowledge that it was harder so that you don't over get overly sensitive about what's right. current. But then you don't want to lose sensitivity to that because then it just, you know what I'm saying? It like all muddles into oblivion. <laughs> so, and I don't know. All that having to think about all that is our unprivilege. What's the opposite of <laughs> I feel like... I shouldn't make up a word for a word that already exists. But yeah, there's 
like we said, it, there hasn't, there's never been a better time to be Asian American in arts entertainment media, but that's because of all the hard work that came before us mm-hmm. and all the struggle and all the hustle, really. You know, we were talking about how through our conference, we, we, we were able to chat with people in the highest offices of entertainment, VPs, casting directors, producers. Mm-hmm. And because they're there now, it makes everything a lot easier for everyone else, right? Because they put in their work. In certain aspects, yes. Maybe yeah. on the race part. Maybe it's the familiarity of working with an Asian American colleague and that their merit of their the merit of their work speaks for itself and so that that becomes a non issue in that way. Well absolutely. But you know, being a professional anything is is hard, especially in the entertainment industry, to have the clout, the network, the skills, the timeliness, the charisma, the whatever. You know, <laughs> like there's so many different elements that make you a viable candidate that's going to beat up the next person whether they are asian american or black or latino or whatever right it's a competitive business so i think what we're again is always just kind of about leveling the playing field and having those more nuanced conversations like really analyzing things and bringing awareness to people who have the privilege but again is that really privilege like it's a it's a it's a it's a sketchy word because privilege means like life is better but i don't Maybe and maybe that's my I mean, way of like grappling <laughs> with that. That I'm like, I don't know if it's better to be ignorant. There's all sorts of, especially if your your goal is inclusion, diversity. If your goal is to improve those, you have to recognize the roles that privilege plays, and that's where things like social programs, community programs, like support programs, come into play, right? Because I was just reading um, <clears throat> the. Um, the podcast industry's like industry rag, which is Hot Pots by Nicholas Kwa. And there was a blurb about how because New York's rents are becoming higher and higher, access to, I mean, the New York public radio scene is becoming more and more gentrified because you have to have a certain amount of income to work there. Uh-huh. It's like the whole, to be able to pursue arts, unless you're you have a lot of scholarships or you have a big support system or grants or whatever. Like it's easier for you to pursue the arts if your family's rich. People could argue the crap out of that. Well, yeah, I get I it. Mean, think about I all, think from. about all the people, like you can work hard and still succeed in it, but it's a hell of a lot easier when you don't have to worry about paying rent right. or making enough money to get by. I argue right? with the fact that my argument or my perspective on great artists are people who've really lived life. So again, I don't come from a, like, to me, it's not very, like, I get that in terms of access and like getting into top art schools or programs doesn't make make you the better artist. There's a lot of artists who come from a deep, some oftentimes dark place um, that comes from living a full, rich life. And so I don't, I don't know, that's just my opinion. And I've only experienced yay amount of life and yay amount of the world. Um, But yeah. I, I've just I, there's so many so much crap that's made that shows exactly that they have like a 250 million dollar budget and they make garbage in my opinion. Mm-hmm. There's no depth to it. There's nothing that really resonates emotionally. Um, they have all the money and the writing is garbage or like whatever. Like here I go ranting. So this is what Will was making fun of. Um, yeah, doesn't equate. Like I get it. Like in terms of programs and having the nicest easel with the nicest paints with the nicest paintbrushes or the night you know, affording the software to make all the coolest edits. But to like I'm just going to be like totally artsy fartsy hipster here and be like that doesn't equate great art to me. And I think that so that's why I believe like you know the people who are out there really living life and and know pain and suffering and know how to get over that and know how to like hustle and know how to take failure and rejection and then, you know, make something great out of it. That doesn't equate to like wealth. A lot of times it's the opposite. I guess I just, you you hear a lot of stories about how a lot of the great impressionist artists didn't really gain fame until after they died Mm -hmm. and they all died in poverty, desolate, right? Yeah. It's a lot harder. You might be making great things, but you still need that that patron, that sponsor. Absolutely. Right. And that's why exposure. That's why again, 
because now we have executives, people in decision-making positions who do value your point of view, different point of views, who do value diversity, who think, who believe in diversity inclusion as the future of media. Yeah. There, it's easier now for those stories to come through because people are actively looking for those. Right. Right. And they're open-minded about it and they see the value beyond dollars or see the potential of dollars in it. Yeah. And that's what I meant by support. Like some people, you know, you can work really, really hard and get like 10% of your full potential. But now that you have people in positions where they have money, who recognize that, you can now, like now it's 50% maybe. Right. I, I guess, yeah, yeah. The, the way that my brain was going was more the argument, and I took it where I wanted to go. But <laughs> it's like, I've heard arguments of just like, yeah, that, again, same thing with intelligence, right? Like, yeah. you, you just because your daddy paid for you to go to Harvard doesn't mean you're smart. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it says something in a way, yeah, I don't know, how'd you graduate? Did you graduate? What was your GPA? <laughs> um, it's, it's all very, there's a spectrum of how we're going to define success yeah and how we're going to define value i mean fundamentally it comes down to resources makes resources always make things easier for sure and if you can get resources easier you'll have easier time but at the same time that talent has to come through too and the talent is built from other places besides ease a lot of talent or you know substance comes from discomfort and yeah 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 putting the work you know even if you were forced to go study Pacific Islander culture and customs, it can't That's going to be like the coolest thing. You get to be paid <laughs> to like go learn about another world. Like that's the coolest thing you can imagine getting paid to do. And then, you know, you're, it's a lot of responsibility. Too. You're like, now turn that into, <laughs> you know, a respectful piece of art yeah. that motivates and inspires generations to come. But those, those, those projects always... I can't say always, maybe not always. Sometimes they might be get botched at the end. Having that effort, making that effort, making that part of the mission, part of the way you do things mm-hmm. will result in better art, better media, better representation. You know, um, and I think that's part of being a professional. It's like doing, like getting the, like professionals get the, get the job done. That, that's what they do. Yeah. They, they get paid to do a job but the really great professionals do it the right way. Do your due diligence. You know, yeah. I, I appreciate Tilda's outreach. End of the end of the day, I'm glad she asked. Um, I'm glad that conversation happened as awkward as it might have been and as misconstrued as it might be right now. My two cents. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that it happened. If somebody came to me with sincerity and with like eagerness to understand, I'd be down to take time out of that and, and or I'd be like, go listen to my podcast. <laughs> I got time for you. No, I'm kidding. And I feel like at the same time, Margaret has every right to feel Absolutely. awkward about it too. And I props to Margaret. Again, I my hat's always off to her for everything she has dealt with and endured with, you know, we'll never know. Yeah. But I can only imagine. And I think she has moved the needle for the Asian American community. Whether you like her or not, I think you got to <laughs> appreciate that. Props. All right, and I think that'll do it for episode 99. Coming 99. to a close. You know what's next? 100. 101. Just kidding, 100. I can count. Can you? I know math. You math well? <laughs> uh, as always, you can follow me and Minji through collaboration or on our social medias. Um, the links are in the show notes. They are. And as always, you can always contact us via email. At podcast, say at, via via email. I say yes, via. via via. It's the same, same diff, right? At podcast at collaboration dot org, you can send us topic suggestions, questions, or just feedback. Uh, you can also leave us a rating or review if you listen to us on iTunes. Um, it's always great to hear from our listeners, and don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts through our RSS feeds. Thanks again to Timothy John for use of his song Stubborn for this week's intro and outro. You can find that song off his EP of the same name. And yeah, 99 is in the books. Tis. And again, happy holidays to everybody. 
Merry, happy, happy, happy Christmas. Merry, happy Christmas. Merry, happy Christmas. If you celebrate, it's been a crazy year. We're yeah. closing it out. We're going to go out in style. And I hope you guys have warm, restful holidays with tons of people that you love. Or by yourself. Love yourself. Treat yourself. Mm. Treat yourself to 2016. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. But I don't want you to go. Whoa! Whoa. Hot luck. Hot luck.